As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and another wonderful round of listener questions. On today's show, we're going in a time machine with a quest to change transfer history. We're finding out how to attend soccer games abroad and we're looking for the next nation to win the men's and women's World Cups. The Tufa. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who answers listener questions like Charlotte FC plays against the world champions of the soccer very well. Taylor Rockwell, hello. <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, even if they are a way to uh, shoehorn in your love of Charlotte FC. Uh, I will always do that. That is my duty, Tater. Of, uh, of course. Of course, for listener, if you don't know, on Wednesday evening, Charlotte FC beat uh, reigning club World Cup champions Chelsea on penalties <laughs> oh at my. Bank of America Stadium. <laughs> Hence, ergo, therefore, Charlotte are champions of the world. Uh, there was there was a period of time in which I was writing down every single Wimbledon reference that Ryan made to see how many he could make in a year. I lost interest in that, but I now want to just keep a like a, a hash mark tally of more Charlotte references or more Wimbledon references because right now I feel like it's more Charlotte than Wimbledon these days. Oh, I'm interested in all the things you say. Hurtful. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair okay. i apologize <laughs> uh yeah okay joining us today is a man who answers listener questions like everton answered the question of whether they'll be in a relegation dogfight this season <laughs> definitively joe lowry is that correct ryan that's exactly right i think there's another there was an everton minnesota united friendly last night if we want to keep it on the topic of weird mls interseason friendlies i I have a really bad feeling about some of these games. You have Inter-Miami going out and just getting smacked by Barcelona in the game that Phil Neville actually (laughs) called, not once, but twice, (laughs) the biggest game in Inter-Miami history. Are you... I have so, I have so much ang- like genuine anger <laughs> towards that comment. But at the same time, I, I do understand it. MLS is in uh, the, the position where they still are looking for commercial avenues. But, man, this just does not strike me as the way to do it. I didn't actually watch that game, but Jeff Reuter tweeted last night that Emmanuel Reynoso came off injured against Everton. And, and basically, as far as Reynoso goes, Minnesota United go. So it's it's a whole mess. But Everton also have their own problems, and who knows, they might get relegated. 
Indeed, yeah, Minnesota 4, Everton 0 on Wednesday evening. One thing I noted is that I believe Minnesota play Wonderwall as their club anthem for some yep. reason. Yep. Uh, so they would have played that afterwards. A Manchester anthem in front of the Liverpool team just to rub it in as well. I like <laughs> a bit of that sauce. Thank you very much, Minnesota. Joining us, Joe, is a man who answers listener questions like England march on in international no, no. tournaments. Assuredly, Graham Rutherford! You mean uh, undeservedly winning games that's how i'm answering <laughs> listener questions i'm not good sure burn, Graham. That. good burn yeah i don't <laughs> thanks see you. joe i don't need two of you piling on me in these episodes and these podcasts graham Ryan's, it, just scoring, rhymes enough you're not scoring bangers an extra time thank you very much unlike my beloved not that you've England. seen <laughs> that's very true that's very true england i don't know the i think, I think though, graham. graham graham does some of his best work off mic so i feel like in that way maybe he does score them an extra time Maybe Thank so. you. Thank you, Taylor. Two and two. I got you. A bit more even, though. I got you. <laughs> yeah, England in the semi-finals. I'm sure you're glad to hear it, Graham, of the Women's Euro 2022. They're going to play the winners of Sweden and Belgium and have thankfully avoided playing that semi-final in the place we should never speak of. It is at Bramall Lane instead because the other semi is going to be at the place we shall never speak of. Um, one story to get out of the way before we get to listener questions, guys. I caught uh, This story caught my eye. A taxi driver in Munich returned Manuel Neuer's wallet after the Bayern Munich goalkeeper left it in his taxi cab. Uh, the taxi driver reportedly, according to several reports, drove the wallet 80 miles, 120 kilometres, back to Neuer. Um, and in return... In, you know, bear in mind Manuel Neuer, celebrity millionaire, he gave him a signed shirt with no thank you note or anything like that. Uh, and the taxi driver claimed the journey cost him 400 euros. Now, Graham, I know that fuel is very expensive in Europe at the moment, but that seems like a lot for 80 miles. But uh, uh, the, the taxi driver said, I found a lot of cash, credit card and a driver's license belonging to Neuer in the car. About 10 days after I gave the wallet, a box arrived at my house. There was only a jersey in the box, not even a thank you note. I have four children. He made fun of me, said the taxi driver. <laughs> me. I mean, I'll take a free shirt from Manuel Neuer if he's sending them about. I can, I can I can DM him my address. I, I was just thinking though, Graham, if it was you and he and he sent you like four hundred euros instead, you'd go, "Can I have a shirt nah, instead? Nah, nah. Give me the shirt." Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that entire, I, I'll have the shirt, please. That entire incident just seems like it should be scored by the Kirby enthusiasm theme. Like that is a plot to curb of him driving like a long distance in LA traffic to give someone back their wallet. And then they're just sort of like, oh, and then close the door in his face. And then the music starts playing. Like that is exactly how I picture that going down. So in that way, at the very least, we could get another episode of Curb out of this. And uh, that makes it worthwhile. Apologies to the taxi driver. Indeed. Taylor, have you ever found a wallet and did it belong to a millionaire? I have. It did not. We found it once walking the dog and we went to the person's address that was listed and they did not answer the door, presumably because they were out looking for their wallet. So we put it between the storm door and their front door. Hopefully they did actually still live there. But I have often wondered if the person returned home and just thought like, was this, did, did I leave this between the door and the storm door? Was it brought back by magic? Uh, I hope it all worked out. But yes, that is my, my one moment of finding a wallet. That's wonderful. I hope you put a large neon sign that said free wallet above it on the door just to make it clear when they're approaching from the street and they could have yeah. obtained the wallet. Yeah, got to let them know it's there, of course. Yeah. That's the only responsible thing to do with a big giant arrow <laughs> flashing and pointing down, of course. <laughs> exactly so. All right, so uh, commiserations to the taxi driver, Manuel Neuer. Maybe, uh, you know... Do it a little better next time you mislay your property in someone else's car. Let's get to the listener question, shall we? Zach Lippert kicks things off. He says, you have a time machine. Ooh, 
You can go back as far as you want, but only once to make one transfer or block one transfer. What do you do? What do you do? Joe Larry, I come to you first and I hope your transfer at uh, your time machine is uh, DeLorean in form. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of those two particular methods. Um, I know Zach said one, I, I have three. Hopefully that's cool. I feel like we're all going to end up with more than one. Maybe not. Maybe I just am bad at reading, but either way, I'm going to start off with one. Then we'll go around the horn and maybe I'll toss my two in at the end. My reasoning here before I actually say what it is, is for the greater good of soccer. It's a pretty noble goal, but it's, it's what I'm trying to do here. And I'm going back in time to block Paul Pogba to Manchester United, from, from Juventus to Manchester United. Pogba had won four straight titles with Juve. The sky is kind of the limit for his career at that point in time. And then he goes to Manchester United for over 90 million pounds, or right around 90 million pounds. And he, he still does very well there over the last six years now. He still does well. I think we all know that. and We've all seen good performances from Paul Pogba at Manchester United but I, I cannot help but feel that so much of his prime was really wasted, or at the very least not optimized, by playing for a pretty dysfunctional Manchester United team. We see how amazing he is for France. We see that at the international level. It's not always uh, amazing in a way that leads to really productive team-wide soccer, but we see how, how he can put on individual highlight reels pretty much every game, and, and we haven't really gotten to see that at least not consistently over the last, again, six years in England. So I know Pogba's no longer at Manchester United. I know he's going back to Juve. I, I would have gone back in time to block that move to United and maybe tried to encourage a move to a club that I knew was going to be more stable. Now, it's possible that the whole domino effect would come into play here and those clubs would then descend into chaos. But hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot on Pogba going any, pretty, pretty much anywhere else. Joe, I, I like that as as, a, as an opening gambit, but I I hope Mino Riola, RIP, didn't have a time machine as well because you just cost him like thirty million in commission with that. Win. Yeah, maybe I could convince Mino. Okay, I could not, but maybe I could say, hey, just give it give it one more year, give it one more year, <laughs> head over to City. Everybody's going to be much happier. Trust me. All right, uh, any more, Joe, or should we move around? You can move around. Yeah. Okay, Graham, what you got? Um, so Billy Gilmore to Norwich City, <laughs> only kidding, sort, sort of. I'm still hopeful that he'll overcome that setback. No, for sheer curiosity's sake, I'd go back and I'd make sure that um, Blackburn Rovers yes, signed Zinedine Zidane, Zidane in 1996. <laughs> so we're all on the same page here. So yep. for anyone who doesn't, who, who doesn't know this tale, Blackburn Rovers <laughs> won the Premier League in 1996 and Kenny Daglish, who had been the manager, he becomes the director of football. And one of the first players that he wants is Zidane, who at that time was a youngster at, at Bordeaux. And Daglish goes to the owner, Jack Walker, who was the money man, and Walker says, no, he didn't want to spend the money on Zidane when Blackburn already had Tim Sherwood in his position. And that, some, that became something of an infamous stance. Whether he actually said it in this way or not, it became, why do you need Zidane? We've got Tim Sherwood. So that's one part of it. I'd like to know how Zidane got on, not only in English football, but for a provincial smaller club as well, not a Manchester United or a Chelsea or whatever. But then the knock-on of that could also be pretty profound. So would Zidane have gone on to become the best player in the world at Blackburn? If he did, would Blackburn have fallen away so quickly with Zidane in their team? Blackburn just missed the kind of boom period of the Premier League, which I would consider to be the early 2000s, just as you're turning over the millennium there. That's where Premier League clubs really started to make some coin. And so if Blackburn are competitive at that time, 
are they are they a factor in the Premier League just now? And if if Black if Zidane sorry doesn't become the same sort of player, who did Real Madrid break the world transfer record for? Because the Galacticos era wasn't really about targeting specific players. It was about making headlines. So they probably would have broken the transfer record for someone else. So mm. who would that player have been? Do Brazil win the nineteen ninety eight World Cup if Zidane isn't the player that he he in reality goes on to become? If Zidane doesn't become a Real Madrid legend, he doesn't become Real Madrid manager. He doesn't win the Champions League three times. So Jose Mourinho goes back there for a second spell because that's what Perez saw as his choice when he went for Zidane. That was the second choice. Mourinho doesn't go to Manchester United, so they do, do they go out and get Mauricio Pochettino, who was their second choice at that time? That surely would have been a better appointment. So. Do they win a Premier League title under Mauricio Pochettino? <laughs> yes, I have just joined the dots from Zidane signing for Blackburn Rovers <laughs> to mine it winning a Premier League title with Zidane and sorry with Pochettino in charge. But that's the butterfly effect for you. Wow. Wow, Graham. Uh, that is actually number one on my list, but for rather more selfish reasons in that I used to have a Premier League team in the late 90s and I would like to have seen Zidane play live uh, several times, which I would have had the privilege of doing had he signed for Blackburn. Uh, the other one, Taylor, I was thinking of was Black. Yep. There was a Blackburn-related deal. Um, I don't even remember Robert Lewandowski. There was a story that he was supposed to sign for Blackburn. I'm going to say it was 2010, but there was a volcanic ash cloud that spread over Europe, which actually, a true story, it stranded me in Bilbao for a few days because I couldn't get home either. But it meant he couldn't travel to Blackburn to sign the documentation. And uh, Taylor, other stuff happened to him. Do you feel like if it had stranded him in Blackburn, he would have still ended up potentially signing for Blackburn? Or would that have been enough for him to be like, you know what? This is not for me. I am locked here. I don't need to be here anymore. And he would have left. Taylor. I Yeah. I, I am lucky enough to have traveled quite a lot in my life. And I've been around most of the UK. I've been around a lot of the world. I can say Blackburn is the worst place I've ever been in my life. Have you been to Coventry? I've heard bad things. <laughs> I've been several times to Coventry. It's comparable, but Blackburn, uh, maybe Preston as well, but Blackburn is the, ver- the, the one of the only places I felt really unsafe during daylight hours. Did you did you not say something similar about Burnley in our season previews and we got a lot of yeah. angry <laughs> tweets and messages well, from Burnley fans that, about that? I'm being rude about the north <laughs> the north the uh, the northwest, but like Burnley, Preston, Blackburn, Southern but Blackburn elite. is oh, I'm sorry. I I, th- I think if he if he'd have gone there he may, he may not have signed anyway. Or Southern softy. Ryan, Ryan just <laughs> right. said, no, no, no. Like, I, I didn't offend that many Burnley people. And then just chooses to rope in all of the <laughs> other surrounding areas. Yeah, north yeah. of Nottingham, all yeah. bad. Yeah, north I of think London, all bad, Graham. Ryan slowly <laughs> made it into everywhere but London, not for him. Which yeah, which actually does kind of make it better yeah. in a way. Too, oh, you know. Taylor, time machine. Let's get back on track. Yeah, I, I had uh, Lewandowski mostly because I'm just wondering if he would still be the player he is, uh, given a different club in a different league. Uh, but for like broader purposes, similar to Graham's, mine that I would make happen because I want to see how it would kind of reverberate is Zlatan Ibrahimovic going to Arsenal in the year 2000 when he was, I believe, just a teenager playing for Malmo. Uh, he comes in, he meets the team, he meets with Wenger, uh, and then he is offered a trial and... I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but supposedly says Zlatan doesn't do trials. They don't like his attitude. He doesn't sign for Arsenal and the rest is sort of history. And I wonder what would have happened if Wenger had said, you know what? I like your spirit and signed him anyway. Would Arsenal still have been the Invincibles with Zlatan in that team? Could he have been a one club man if he felt like sort of 
emboldened by this massive club with a ton of history behind them. Would that have changed Wenger's approach or his philosophy in like just signing young players to then develop? Would he have been more okay with a young player who sort of had that swagger? Does that change Arsenal's philosophy and their playing style? I think there's a lot of things that could have uh, impacted the rest of soccer because obviously then Zlatan isn't playing for some of the clubs he plays for. Maybe they're not winning the silverware. They would have won, and I think there's another, uh, since Graham already took butterfly effect, I'll go sliding doors scenario here where lots of things are different because one move ends up happening. I like I like how Wenger was like to one cocky Scandinavian in Zlatan. No, no not for us, but Nicholas nope. Bentner comes along That's and he's one. like, we'll take him. That's the cocky <laughs> Scandinavian for us, Nicholas Bentner. <laughs> I missed one. I'm not missing out on the next one. And then it turns out (laughs) he had the order flipped. Taylor, if um, if Slatten ever goes into criminal litigation, and I hope he doesn't, that Slatten doesn't do trials thing, it's going to come back to bite him, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he always settles, notoriously for settling out of court because he won't do trials. Zlatan exactly so. Uh, I think we, we, we've covered a lot of deals um, where we would make a transfer happen rather yeah. than block one. I've got an, one that I would block, and it's rather more personal for me. It is John Hartson, the former... Current, he's Welsh. He's the Welsh striker, the former striker. <laughs> former uh, Welsh. He's not a former person or anything. Um, he signed for Wimbledon, my team, in January 1999. And it was a club record £7.5 million, which was around three times higher than any other transfer we had paid for at the time. Uh, essentially, it was a huge, huge financial strain on the club. He kind of flopped. He got nine goals in the season that followed, uh, where Wimbledon were relegated from the Premier League for the first time. And a few years later... I don't need to fill you on the story that the club was murdered. And that was pretty much the start of the stepping stone towards disaster for our club. So that's one I would put on there as well. In terms of a transfer, I would try and block because who knows, butterfly effect, maybe I'd still have a club in the... No, we wouldn't be in the Premier League, but hey, different journey. You are forming quite the hit list on this podcast. John Hartson, anyone from... uh, Not London. Burnley, not London, yeah. (laughs) I'm picking on the very toughest people, basically, Graham. It's a very bad idea. Uh, Joe, do you have any others before we move on? Yeah, I'll I'll go too quickly. I want to block Isco to Real Madrid, and I know he did a lot of good things there and and won a bunch of stuff, moved from Malaga to Madrid in in 2013-2014. I just would have loved to see Isco get a team of his own. He's only broken 2,000 minutes once, ever at Madrid and he hasn't broken the 1200 minute mark in any of his last four seasons and he's not really in his prime at this point but four years ago I think you could argue that he was right in the heart of his prime he was just so good and I remember being so mesmerized by him at Malaga that I I wish we would have seen a little bit more of him that's one and then Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg it's really early and I'm not ready to throw in the towel on this but I am real close (laughs) Taylor especially I mean I I just don't I don't really picture that working out all that well. Last season, for the half that he was there, was dreadful, and and I'm not sure that that's entirely his fault. It just felt like a a potentially bad situation. It is a great bag for Dallas in particular. I think they pulled the trigger at just the right time. But as far as Ricardo Pepe's future is concerned, especially ahead of the World Cup, I have, and, and did have, and we all talked about this at the time, some pretty serious questions about that deal. So that's another one that I would think about blocking. I might use my time machine to go forward maybe six months or a year and then use it to go backward based off of what I, what I learned from the future, if that's legal here. Sure. Whatever. Joe, Sick. that's fine. Yeah, good. Use your delirium how you please. Uh, some excellent answers there. Thank you very much, Zach, for the question. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking women's and men's World Cup winners back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Mason van der See has got in touch and asked, currently, Germany is the only nation to have won both the Women's and Men's World Cups. Which country seems most likely to join the Germans in accomplishing this feat? USA, USA, <laughs> USA. Book it, happening this winter, maybe. Don't put money on it. <laughs> okay. So would this be a simultaneous, Graham, 2022 men's and 2023 women's? Could there be, quite possibly, a winner, a simultaneous winner from the same nation? Uh, I mean, factually, it's possible, yes. <laughs> As I say, maybe don't put money on it. I mean, the correct answer here is England, Spain, um, or I guess France, you'd have to mention yeah. France, but I'm just yep. not convinced as long as Corinne Diacra's there that they can get through a major tournament without some sort of explosive incident. But they, they have the talent for sure. So I, I will go with England or Spain because you would you would say they have a, a good chance of winning the World Cup next year, Spain, Spain in particular. I know England have just put Spain out of the, these Euros, but I think maybe some of England's best players are slightly older, whereas a lot of Spain's best players are still quite young. So it feels like their cycle has a bit further to run than England. So they might get a couple a couple shots at it where England might only get next year. But yeah, England England or Spain and then third choice, France. Can I, Graham, throw out the Netherlands in your shortlist as well? I know they're playing France, obviously, coming up in this Euro 2022. Um, but they could win? Well, they but they've never won either, right? Is that correct? Yeah, they haven't yeah, won they either, win... so they have to win both they have to before win both, somebody yes. else wins one. I'm talking simultaneous difficult. here, Graham. I'm talking simultaneous. You're, oh. you're, you're going big time with these predictions. <laughs> yeah, why not? Go bold or go home. Yeah, I guess I guess why not? They've got they've got good good teams in, in both the, the men's and the women's games, so yeah, why not? But my, my train of thought kind of went to the teams that only have one mm. to get, which is why I've I've gone for the ones that I've, I've picked. Yeah, so Graham, you... I, I totally agree with you, Graham. I think it makes... As far as the, the the team that's the nation that's most likely to do this the fastest, it makes sense. There's there's almost double, or there is at least double the number of teams that have won the men's World Cup relative to the teams that have won the women's World Cup. So correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, but I have Uruguay, Italy, Germany, England, Brazil, Argentina, France, Italy, and Spain as the teams that have won the men's World Cup. I believe that's nine, and there's only been four teams to ever win the women's World Cup, which has not been going on for nearly as long as the men's World Cup. You have the United States, Norway, Germany, and Japan. So Mason's totally right. He has Germany as the only team that's that's won both. And it seems to me then that it's much more likely that one of the countries that is vastly improving or has already vastly improved their program on the women's side of the federation is more likely to just drive that success forward for that already pretty rich soccer country than it is for a team like the United States to win on the men's side or a team like Japan or Norway to win on the men's side. Those things feel really unlikely. So I, I'm 100% with you, Graham. I think England, France, Spain, that's probably the top three with I think England, and England really especially, maybe especially after this tournament, being the leader of that pack. Mm, Tater is England, right? 
Yeah, I, I have the exact same answers as Joe and Graham. I have the U.S. a little bit more seriously, though, because I do think the U.S. men will win the World Cup in my lifetime. I don't think they'll win it this winter. I don't think think they'll necessarily win it in 2026. But I, I don't – basically, I think with how much progress has been made in that program, how many more people are playing, the amount of Americans that are starting to move abroad, even looking at this current national team, where they play, the clubs they play for, the profile of these players – I don't see that changing. I feel like that takes a really big downturn in the interest in soccer, and I don't see that happening for any particular reason. So I think we'll continue to see more and more Americans playing the sport, uh, therefore the quality improving both domestically and abroad. And I think eventually the U.S. men will end up winning it. Uh, I just don't know when that will be, and I think there's a far likely uh, it's far more likely, excuse me, that uh, England or France or Spain uh, win, win on the women's side before the U.S. wins on the men's side. I do like the U.S. shout, though, because after all, at the 2030 Men's World Cup, when there's 96 teams, it's anyone's game, really. Yeah, you never know how it's going to go. I mean, yeah, yeah it's one off, but then you're back in based on FIFA coefficients and then based on sponsorship potential. <laughs> then you have to go into the knockout round of sponsorship potential. It's a whole thing. It's yeah. going to be very complicated. But at the end, we'll get at least four winners and that will be fine. One of them will be money, I'm sure, Tay-Tay. One of them will be money. <laughs> always, Mason, always. thank you for that question. Robert Cordova has got in touch. Hey, Robert, how does TSS view Carlos Tevez's soccer career now that he's finally retired? And he did so uh, in June this past month at the age of 38. He last played at Boca Juniors, his third stint there. That's a club he started at as well. Graham, he's now manager at Rosario Central. Uh, he's had quite some controversies, I'd say, Graham, over his career has Carlos Tevez. Uh, third party ownership at West Ham there was a scandal there refusing to come off the bench against City was it against Bayern Munich I think they were losing in the Champions yep, League yeah. um, just not taking Shanghai Shenhua very seriously at all but also very good player Graham he took, he took his bag seriously sorry okay go ahead Graham <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he did. <sighs> um, when I look back at his soccer career now that it's over, I, I, I do I don't think he he totally fulfilled his potential. And obviously, he played for some big clubs and he won titles with five different clubs and in different countries. So maybe maybe it's a bit harsh to criticise him. But his his career tailed off pretty quickly. Um, and I loved Carlos Tevez as a player. I think I've spoken previously about how I love Argentinian soccer, how it's got that South American flair, but also a bit of blood and thunder. And, and Tevez embodied a lot of that. He was an un, unmistakably Argentinian football player. When I look back over his career, so obviously I remember the, the West Ham days and the Manchester City days and, and the, the City days vividly. I didn't really need to do much research on them, but I went and looked back at some of his other clubs and I was surprised at how successful he was at Juventus. I think those post-Calciopoli years maybe just merged into each other in my mind. They seemed to go through a lot of players at that time. And while I definitely remember him playing for Juventus, I can't I can't remember vividly any uh, any great performances, but he, he scored 50 goals in 95 games for them. So clearly there were a lot of good performances he won two Serie A titles a Coppa Italia so not terrible at all but in terms of his Premier League career which is is what I remember most of all we only really got five consistent seasons which again is not to be sniffed at I'm not saying he had a bad career at all but he he definitely seemed capable of more so so that's a bit of a shame I, I will always think of Ryan you mentioned that that game at the Allens Arena that will always be one of the defining images of his career just refusing to come off the bench in that game and, and and to be honest I think that changed his image in, in the minds of a lot of people and um, one thing I will say in defense of, of Tevez is it seemed like after a while he just wanted to go back to Argentina and um, 
I can respect that. If that's where you're comfortable, then that you you do you. And he went back and he played for Boca Juniors. The whole kind of Turin is closer to Argentina thing. So I want to sign for Juventus. That that was a that was a bit silly, I have to say. But in terms of going back to Argentina and playing there, respect. If that's where you want to play, that's where you want to play. I mean, it's further away from Argentina if we're going to look at a map. But sure. I think his argument was there were there were easier flights or something yeah. to Buenos Aires, which again seemed a bit silly. But <laughs> there's a there there's an airport in Manchester, yeah. Like, <laughs> sure is. I think it's it's the it's the idea that there's like a ton of like cultural familiarity, right? Because isn't yeah. it something like Argentina? If you trace lineage back, it's like seventy five percent of Argentinians have Italian lineage at some yeah. point, so there's a lot of crossover. So I think that was sort of what what he was implying. But I think that's like part and parcel of Carlos Tevez is you have to kind of dissect him a little bit to understand who he is that that's sort of what i will remember him as as surprisingly successful controversial and in that way a bit like maradona not just because of the argentina connection but because of some of those controversies you all have already mentioned including his departure from manchester which we glossed over because i think for a lot of manchester united fans that's where his image changed of them uh meeting his his release clause that he had, them offering him a deal that would have made him one of the top earners and him saying, no thanks, I've got other offers. And then it quickly becoming apparent that that offer was Manchester City. And there's the Welcome to Manchester billboard that's put up with him uh, on it, it, decked out in sky blue. That felt like a shot across the bow and maybe a shot directly at Manchester United. Uh, And then there's the freezing out at Man City y'all talked about. There's the successes at Juve. And then there's even the successes when he goes back and plays for Boca and, and wins titles that he had not been able to win previously. And I think in that way he's successful but there is that little bit of unrealized potential about him as well that makes him just that much more of a captivating figure that that uh that welcome to manchester billboard still wasn't as bold as the r.i.p fergie sign that uh, tevez held up at the the city title parade when he won his first premier league title at city i'm not sure he wrote it himself i think he was handed it by a fan Mm -hmm. but he held up r.i.p fergie which um yeah i i I imagine his uh, public image advisors were were not too pleased about seeing him holding that sign i'm gonna go on the limb and say he didn't design his own banner and make it Graham, I hope he got handed Pro- it, right? Pr- probably not, but we are talking about Carlos Tevez here. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Is like, the, There's the thing where he refuses to sub on uh, Mancini is furious, and then he says, like, oh, no, it's a misunderstanding. And then there's the thing where uh, his Chinese manager says he wasn't fit enough to play despite making, I think, an annual salary of $41 million. No, that's exaggerated, and I could have played. It just wasn't the right moment. Like, I think there's a lot of that sort of hand-waving, explaining away of what would be major incidents for other players, but for Carlos Tevez, it just felt like par for the course. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the dancing celebrations, appearing in music videos, uh, having an open relationship with a teenager for like a decade. Uh, that, that, was, that was some interesting choices from Carlos Tevez, is all oh, I'm boy. saying. Yeah, he's, uh, on YouTube, there's a good Cartoon Network commercial where he does some dancing, which you can look up, which I recommend. <laughs> Joe, for me, the memory of Carlos Tevez will live on forever. That wonderful image, that wonderful, wonderful image of him at Disneyland while his team, Shanghai Shingwa, are playing a game he's supposed to be in. How about you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Please send that in the Slack immediately so I can enjoy that once again. Um, yeah, first of all, as far as the poster goes, Taylor, graphic design is probably his passion. So we don't we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't. That's know. not his thing. And uh, it wasn't the right moment in Shanghai because he wasn't fit. So that really kind of does go full circle there. Um, I, I view Carlos Tevez in terms of how his soccer career went as a very good forward. I think that is a pretty blanket term to describe his playing career. He played for some really big clubs. He did some good things on the field for those clubs. And then he kind of went and, and chased the bag, which is his his right to do that. 
And then you have the controversy that's sprinkled in along the way. Ultimately, when I go to sleep tonight, I, I probably won't be thinking of Carlos Tevez. And, and when I'm trying to think yeah. about the greatest players <laughs> to ever too. play, I, I, won't, I also won't be thinking of Carlos Tevez. But he had a, a very good career. And I'm, I'm, I am admittedly curious to see how his managerial stint goes and how long it lasts as well. Yeah. He got $40 million for one yep. year playing in China. He scored four goals. <laughs> Is your TSS contract not that big, Graham? Is yours? Do ah. I need to speak to my agent? Oh. Ryan, you need to get me a better deal here. Come on. <laughs> I forgot about that. Thank you very much, Robert, for that question. That little walk down memory lane with Mr. Tevez. Kenneth Seiden has got in touch. Is Josh Wolf the next great hope for American managers? And do you feel he has the prospects outside of Major League Soccer? Uh, Tater, um, Josh Wolf doing rather well at Austin uh, this mm-hmm. season in particular in his first senior head coach role. First off, I will fully say that Joe is far more qualified to answer this question than I. So take what I say with a grain of salt and then listen to what Joe has to say. Um, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be. I do think it's harder, generally speaking, for American coaches to make the jump abroad uh, than it is for European coaches or South American coaches who also managed in Major League Soccer. So I, I kind of think that would be the thing that holds him back as opposed to staying in Austin and continuing to build that team and then maybe getting a look from another MLS club. And maybe even that's like uh, the U.S. national team down the line if things continue to go well. But it, it, I think it's harder to make that jump uh, abroad, which I think you do sort of have to make if you want to be that next big manager, the next big thing, unless you have that sort of city or Red Bull pipeline that will give you those opportunities or not give you, but at least facilitate them uh, more quickly. So I think that could be the thing that holds him back from a bigger move abroad. But I think in the short term, definitely plenty of potential to have a lot of success in Major League Soccer and potentially with the national team down the road. And, and Taylor, I think you make some good points that are about it's still being challenging for American coaches to go over and coach in Europe. That's the reality right now because there's not a track record, right? I mean, there's only ever been a few coaches that have, have come through American soccer and then moved from coaching in the U.S. at a high level to coaching in Europe at a high level. And there have been very few in recent history. You really have Bob Bradley and you have Jesse Marsh as the two yep. that come to mind quickest for everyone. And neither one, Jesse Marsh made a, a really good run had a very good run with RB Salzburg. He hasn't yet, he hasn't had much time, but he hasn't yet done anything with a team outside of Austria of any real note. Obviously, surviving relegation with Leeds is, a, is an impressive accomplishment after the hole that Bielsa and that approach Doug leads into, but it's still not enough yet to change the reputation. Surviving relegation is stuff that British managers do, not stuff that American managers do. So that's not, it's not a, a really a massive achievement. It's not a differentiating achievement. So it's going to take time. It's going to take... More coaches, one, coming from MLS, period, regardless of nationality. And we are seeing bits and pieces of that. And, and two, it's going to take more of those coaches being American to go and actually change the perception of particularly American managers. There's a lot of work, I think, that needs to be done, and I've talked about this before, in, in developing coaches in the United States and improving and, and trying to ideally create better managers that can then go on within the the sort of misshapen pyramid, the closed pyramid that we have here in the United States that can move up and down within those levels, particularly up, and then eventually move abroad. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that side. As far as Josh Wolf goes, I don't think, to get to Kenneth's question, I don't think there's one American manager that really stands out from the rest right now. I, I think if there is one, for me, it's probably Jim Curtin and not Josh Wolf. That said, 
I do think Wolf is a good coach. Austin are much better this year than they were last year. They're, they're relatively fun to watch, and they have a tactical identity. They'll step up and they'll press. They're not all in on the press all the time, but they'll press in strategic, strategic moments. They'll, they'll possess the ball. They're enjoyable to watch, and I think they still are operating at a talent disadvantage relative to the very best teams in MLS. You look at their difference between LAFC and Austin or between Austin and NYCFC. The difference in, in the squads is massive, in my opinion. So I think Josh Wolf is doing a lot with a little relative to those teams, at least, in Major League Soccer right now. I don't think, and this is not inside information, this is speculation, I, I would be very surprised if Josh Wolf had any major prospects outside of MLS right now, it's his second year as a head coach. Austin was was awful last year, really, for the for the most part. And this year they are having success, but it's just year one of that success. But I, I do think after another couple of years in MLS of having success in MLS, he he could. He's not super young. I think he's in his late 40s, but he's a he's a manager with a decent profile, with a good set of experiences. He's been a national team assistant coach, now getting a job to really shape a team in Austin. Those are good things on a resume, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you get a couple of years down the road if somebody's looking at Josh Wolf over in Europe and saying, hey, you know, we're starting to see Jesse Marsh having some success. Maybe Curtin's moved over by then. Maybe Ronnie Dial is doing something good in Belgium, and, and Patrick Vieira, people know, originated or had some of his coaching career in Major League Soccer. It's starting to build towards a little bit of a larger contingent in Europe, and it wouldn't surprise me if at some point Josh Wolf joined that still relatively small but growing contingent. What? Where is he in the power rankings of potential, and this is a difficult question to answer because we're trying to predict maybe two or three years down the line or maybe even longer, but in terms of US men's national team managers, because there is a bit of overlap, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a bit of overlap between what Berhalter does with the US right now and what Wolf does with Austin. Yeah. So if there was a success, if it was a succession plan, obviously if Berhalter flames out at the, at the the Winter World Cup this year, US soccer is probably going to want to go in a different direction. But in this scenario, this hypothetical scenario that I'm talking about, the US wants to continue what Berhalter's done. Wolf maybe in two three years further down the line, maybe he's he's up there. I, I think. I'm not saying it's impossible. I think it would take some real consistent success with Austin, and I, I don't know when you'd make that hire given where he is in his coaching career and the timing of the World Cup. He's not going to be a guy that you hire. It, it, I, would, I would be surprised if U.S. Soccer hired him right after the World Cup if the U.S. doesn't do well because he's still so new to, to coaching to a head coaching position. That would feel strange to me. It really does seem like Jesse Marsh, especially with his job right now being Leeds and, and not being Leipzig or being... Dortmund, or and those were, were legitimate teams that were he was being linked to, or in Leipzig's case, was actually coaching. I think it's much harder to leave a job like that behind than it is to leave Leeds United behind. Uh, I don't think I'm breaking any real news or ground there. So I, I would say Wolf is still probably at least a cycle away for from, from getting that job. But Wolf and Curtin, and maybe you're looking at a guy like Pat Noonan starting to break onto that scene, but again, way too early. He's in his first senior management job with Cincinnati. It's going to take time, and those are just American names. Of course, U.S. soccer could look elsewhere and, and coaches of different backgrounds. But I think as far as the Americans, it's a pretty short list of possible candidates to, to kind of the point that you're making, Graham. I don't think Wolf is that far down on that list, but I think he's probably at least a few years away from being on the top of that list. I think the only way I see him sort of coming into that conversation in the medium near future would be two things. I think if Jesse Marsh fails and gets sacked by Leeds – I think there's still an idea that he's a very good manager 
it was the wrong time at Red Bull. Premier League's really challenging. There's a lot of pressure at Leeds. And if things didn't go well for Burhalter in this World Cup, then maybe that's when they would turn to Jesse Marsh, who at that point could be looking for employment. But if things go well at Leeds, uh, or if things... I think didn't go well for Burhalter. Uh, I think you'd still struggle with Josh Wolf because he was a Burhalter assistant at Columbus and then with the U.S. So he already has that connection. So that's where I think if the U.S. struggled under Burhalter, you'd be looking at kind of a Burhalter disciple coming in. And I don't know if that would be the route they'd want to go. If things went well this World Cup and Burhalter wanted to move on, that's where I could see the continuity factoring into that decision. That's where I could see Josh Wolf maybe getting some looks, but I think a lot of that will depend on how the rest of the season goes. Because if you have somebody uh, crash out or really start to flame out or have a lot of uh, issues, then I can't see them just automatically getting the U.S. job. Just to sort of get ahead of some conversations that I can think of us having in the future. I think Beralter has very much leaned closer and closer to the pressing end of the tactical spectrum throughout his time with the U.S. men's national team, which I just say that because I can imagine at some point down the road, Jesse Marsh getting this job or or someone like Jim Mm -hmm. Curtin getting this job, maybe a little further down the line. And I I can see a lot of, man, this is a a totally, this is a seismic tactical shift from the U.S. and, And they're really changing. They should have just gone with Jesse Marsh in the first place when his name was sort of being considered for this job because he would have brought that pressing style from day one. But we never saw that under Greg Berhalter, and, and that's just not true. That's just not really true at all at this point. The U.S., in my mind, is, is more of a pressing team now than they are a possession team. It's both, and it's kind of foolish to separate one from the other. But I, I think there is not that much of a difference between how Berhalter is now playing soccer and how maybe Jesse Marsh plays soccer. There is a difference, don't get me wrong, but it's a much smaller difference than it would have been in 2019 or 2020. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think it is an interesting discussion because partially the the pool of American coaches that we could conceivably think would get this job is so shallow. So we just don't really know. We kind of bring up the same few names every once in a while, and maybe Wolf enters that conversation. Maybe Pat Noonan enters that conversation. But there aren't a lot of names out there in the American sense who could do that job or at the profile or at the level to do that job. So I think it'll be fascinating to see what happens in basically December headed into 2023. Fascinating indeed. Kenneth, thank you very much for that question. We'll have a couple more after this break. Back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. James Jocker has got in touch, who says, I'm looking to travel internationally again, and I'm hoping to see some soccer games. As you guys seem to have done this a number of times before, how do you shop for tickets in an unfamiliar country? Are there any strategies that you can share? Uh, Graham, I come to you for this one. Um, I've got some perspective uh, on buying Italian tickets, which I can get to shortly, uh, but I'll give you the floor. Um, I'd say in the UK, unless it's an oversubscribed team, like a big top six team in the Premier League, say, it's not too challenging to get tickets. No, and and most for, in, in terms of most clubs and most message, methods, you would just go onto the club website and it's nice and easy. There are tickets to buy. Some clubs will require you to buy a like an annual membership, which is a bit of a pain. It normally costs between 30 and 40 pounds, which I know isn't cheap. And uh, it feels like a little bit of a scam to get more money out of people who are just buying one or two tickets, but you might have to buy one of those to get tickets from an official source. Another option is to check the, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground here, but I'll go through some methods that I have used. So another method is is to check the the ticket resale uh, sites on the day of the game and you can pick up cheap tickets quite easily that way I, I actually did that for the first time in the states when i when i went to 
what game did I go to? A Red Bull game, I think that was. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever used one of those sites. So I imagine listeners will be very familiar with that method. Twitter is a very useful resource. So either just be blunt about it. Anyone got a spare ticket for tonight? Just tweet that out. You'll be surprised how that kind of bounces around. Um, or use the search function to look for anyone who might be getting rid of a ticket. That's actually hugely effective. I've picked up loads of tickets um, for loads of loads of games and gigs as well, concerts. But doing that, the search function on, tw- on Twitter the day of the event uh, people just trying to to get rid of them maybe a friend hasn't turned up or something like that and once or twice I've also just turned up to the ground and picked up a ticket from not so much a scalper I would kind of stay away from them but someone again who's just trying to get rid of a ticket someone a friend hasn't turned up that's the sort of person you're looking for and then one final recommendation find a, a local fans group send them a message again I would recommend social media particularly Twitter for that ask them for help I find that generally speaking, football people want to help if you show any interest in supporting their team. So I have been to largely, again, games in MLS, but I think it was a Toronto FC game that I went to once. I was weirdly struggling to find a ticket in a certain area. I wanted to be behind one of the goals. And so I went to one of the Toronto fans groups and they retweeted it. And within about 20 minutes, I had a ticket behind the goals in, in one of the kind of ultra sections. That, that was really good. So that's just a few of the methods that, that, that I would uh, I would suggest. Well, we, we haven't all got blue checks, Graham, but we can't go demanding tickets from Toronto fans. Bear that in mind. You are verified on Instagram as well as Twitter, I believe. I'm just saying not everybody's <laughs> so, like us, Graham, that's all. <laughs> that's true. So, I, me I say, so me and Joe is basically <laughs> that's, that's what I was shooting at, yeah. Oh, Joe's, got, Joe's verified, aren't you, Joe? I, I am, but I'm not yeah, sure how much yeah. or, or little that's going to help me get a ticket, oh. so... <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. I'll, I'll say... Um, so it's just you, Taylor. Um, yeah, there I'll you say, go, man. <laughs> for the scalpers thing, Graham, one thing I noticed going to the American market, like going to NFL games and even going to soccer games, scalpers are everywhere and they're like standing next to police where it doesn't seem to be illegal. Whereas in Europe, uh, you don't want to go to a scalper because it's very, very shady. Um, more so than in the US, I would say. Indeed. And and there are also some rules, I believe, around ticket resale sites in the UK. So mm. some are authorised. So I would stick to... The big names, you know, the the Viagogos, the Seat Geeks, the, the you know the, the recognisable ones, the the ones that you've heard of before, I would stick to them because some of the the lesser known ones, I, I believe, are kind of treated in the same way that scalpers just standing outside the stadium are. So be wary of that as well, particularly in the UK. Makes note to go in and edit in TSS sponsor StubHub over Graham's comment. Good. Okay. Um, I, I'll say, yeah, I, that reflects much of my experience as well, Graham. I say in Germany, like, if you want to go to a Borussia Dortmund game, it's surprisingly easily because you can just go on the website and there is even English language um, options to get relatively cheap tickets there. So do that. Is this Dortmund? Dortmund, yeah. Yeah. And you can do it yeah. in advance. I believe also if you, once you click buy, uh, like a beer as well, like, comes out of your laptop. That's right. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't know if anyone has done that before. Yeah, it just starts coming up your drains in your kitchen, just beer everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, I had a peculiar um ticket buying experience in italy um it's not so bad for roma but for lazio in rome um you it's a very complex system of buying the tickets in the first place because they like a challenge in italy um and there's no like apps or anything so it's a it's like a qr code ticket you get but you have to print it out if you don't print it out you can't come in which is amazing uh you need id to go with your ticket as well and when you go into the stadium i had this at the olympico uh, i was checked i think three times 
uh, by three different people going through three different checkpoints, just all just looking at the ticket. Uh, and was this for Roma or Lazio? This was for Lazio. Roma have it together a little bit more than Lazio do, right. I should Lazio, say. Lazio, they check their, your tattoos as well. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And also, this was at a time um, where they would not accept my US COVID documents, my little white piece of card. Uh, so that was a separate nightmare I had getting into that stadium. But I got in in the end. Uh, Taylor, any reflections, thoughts, international travel and tickets? Yeah, I think a, a lot of mine is anecdotal because it's sort of like I asked around. I went to a local bar when we were in Turkey and the bartender mentioned that there was like a library that would occasionally sell tickets. And sure enough, they were. So like, I don't think that's maybe the best way to do it. But I do think making connections and asking around uh, doesn't hurt. Um, but then also, to Graham's point about social media, there's always going to be a subreddit for your team. And I think if you go in there and explain why you want a ticket, uh, especially for like smaller-ish clubs, I think there's going to be more of a response. If you're, I don't know, going on the Man United or the Chelsea subreddit and saying, like, American here would like a ticket, please, question mark, I don't think that's going to really get the job done. But I think explaining who you are and why you want to go or just asking in a very polite way the best course of action, I think you're going to get more specialized knowledge. So I I turn to Reddit, uh, which is always a good thing, but always a bad thing at the same time. Good stuff. Uh, 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 Joe, anything more to add to this one? No, I've never seen a game internationally, so I don't have much experience in this one, I'm afraid. Well, I hope you picked up some tips then, Joseph, as did I hope James as well. Uh, James, uh, maybe let us know, get in touch where you want to go. Maybe we can uh, expand on this one as well. So I'd interested to hear about your international travel plans. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Sagar Siramajiri, who's got in touch to say, in your soccer watching memory, who are some of the players who've had very high expectations or you've had very high expectations of them and you were very excited about them but they didn't live up to that expectation and it's a bit sad to think about them now taylor the one that sticks with me is one i think i've mentioned before on the show it's little brazilian bernard who Mm. i really thought was going to be the absolute dogs i thought he was uh the 2014 world cup i was doing some work for yahoo and i kind of very publicly tipped him to be a player of the tournament he wasn't he wasn't that. No. Um, and I thought he <laughs> looked really good for Shakhtar going into that tournament. I think it was the 2013-14 Champions League where he caught my eye. I thought he was very, very good there. Uh, I found a piece of uh, information that said Bernard was chosen as one of the top 11 South American players in 2013 by a Spanish newspaper El País. So they were on it. They were on the train as well with Bernard. But then, as we know, um, went to Everton and now, I believe, is playing in the UAE with Sharjah, a team I had not heard of until today, Taylor. Yeah, I think that's that's a great shout. I like the, the more personal ones. I have two of those and then a bigger one. Uh, the the first would be Julian Green uh, when he first mm. kind of comes to prominence or is connected to the U.S. national team. I, like it was only what 2013, I think, in the lead up to the 2014 World Cup, or maybe it was even 2014 is when he first gets his call up. But at that time, there was just there were just obviously fewer Americans playing in Europe, and certainly fewer Americans coming through the academy of a club like Bayern Munich. And so it felt like here's this teenager coming through Bayern, like he's definitely going to make it through because I think I had an expectation that every kid who comes through the Bayern academy ends up playing for Bayern Munich. Again, did not have the knowledge we have now, where we now know that there are tons and tons of kids playing for the Bayern Munich Academy, uh, not all of them destined to be Thomas Muller. So I, I think he was one where I thought for sure he's going to come good eventually. Not to say that he's even had a bad career. I just think he hasn't, like, obviously didn't come through breakthrough for Bayern Munich and have a ton of games there. So I think in that way, there was a bit of hype that he didn't live up to. 
for Manchester United, I would say Gabriel Obertan was the player that I was like sure was going to be the Ronaldo replacement and be this clinical, uh, speedy winger who would score goals and create assists. I remember talking to the United PR person at one of their preseason games and just being like, I think he's so good. He's got this. He's got that. And, and I remember her just kind of like nodding quietly and being like, yeah, yeah, good, good. And then like walked away. And I still think about that every now and then about that person must have been like, Americans don't know anything. Uh, because yeah, he <laughs> did not do so well, which is why probably a lot of people don't even know his name. And there's a lot of Manchester United players like that. James Wilson, Kiko Makeda, Ravel Morrison, who maybe is going to be a DC United player. So we'll see how that ends up for him. And speaking of Manchester United, Joe already mentioned him. But strangely, Paul Pogba, I think, is on this list for me because I was sure he was going to be the player that turned things around when he went back. And there was not just the announcement videos where he's dancing with Stormzy, but also the little clips of him like going into the training facility to find the tea lady that was there when he was a kid to to have tea and hug her. And he remembered the kit ladies. And it just seemed like, oh, this guy gets it. And now he's come back and he's this sort of swaggering professional who's going to turn around the fortunes of the club. And to go from he is going to win uh, the, the Premier League three times with Manchester United to, yeah, I'm ready for him to leave. That's a pretty big swing in my estimations of a player. Very good. Overtime, by the way, was in Charlotte FC's uh, first preseason training camp. Oh. <laughs> that's where i saw him going yeah uh, he didn't he didn't make the cut yep so <laughs> joe what are your thoughts so there's one that stands out as being a little bit before my my real soccer watching memory began and that's freddie adu who i don't really need to go into any more detail about but everyone knows even folks that weren't watching his career and every little detail at the time you know still know about freddie adu and, and kind of the miss there Gideon Zalalem is the other one that stands out very much in my mind for this question. Both are, are USMNT related, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone. But Gideon Zalalem, someone who Arsene Wenger hop, uh, hyped up along with pretty much everyone else uh, while he was at Arsenal. Arsene Wenger said, I think he's a player who has quality, top quality. He talked about how he's going to have a, a really strong career. And... That didn't really happen. So good, gets really hyped up by pretty much all of us again at Arsenal, and then ends up going to Rangers, where I'm sure Graham was paying close attention to him. Then he goes over to the Netherlands, and, and now he's at NYCFC, and he's barely playing. He has the the skill set that seemingly is so rare in American soccer of being able to, or at least he, he had this at the time. I'm not even so sure how much we see it now. But he has this, I, the, this ability to break lines with his passing. He's so smooth, never phased by pressure. He is this beautifully press-resistant midfielder that can carve you up. And, and he still does do some of that stuff. We just don't see it very often with NYCFC because he's buried on that depth chart. He never really found the rhythm of the game. He never really found uh, the ability to keep up in transition. He just didn't put it together, which is a real shame because I think his skill set is one that is just so fun to watch. Even if he never broke into the international level, getting to watch him play consistently, even for a team in Major League Soccer, I think would have been a really incredible moment. But instead, I think his first trip back to the U.S., his first step there was playing for Swope Park Rangers, then called Swope Park Rangers in the USL. And now he's he's warming the bench up pretty nicely with NYCFC under Nick Cushing. So, yeah, not not really, I think, what Arsene Wenger or, or I'm guessing any of us or certainly Gideon Zalalem thought uh, would happen with his career. Still a talented player, but just never quite figured out how to put it together. Oh, Graham, where are you going with this one? Zalalem, can't even say that, is a really good one, Joe, because I did watch a lot of him when he was at Rangers. When he signed for Rangers, the, the hype around him oh, was yeah. unreal. 
And I thought he was a, the, the biggest signing Rangers had made for years because at that time, Rangers were really poor. They're in the Scottish Championship. They're in the second tier. They weren't the Rangers team that we have today, you know, European finalists and, and so on. They were a poor team. I thought this guy's going to lift them. And I don't think he even, I did a quick Google check there. I don't think he scored a single goal for Rangers, which I know is not, it's, he's not a, a centre forward, but nonetheless, at that level, you're expecting him to carry some goal threat. He was... He was very underwhelming, and at that point, I realised maybe he wasn't as good as people had had made him out to be. He wasn't on my list, but another player I, uh, I did have on, on my list, Taylor, you will remember this guy, Adnan Yanezai. I get a bit embarrassed oh, when I think about call. some of the things I said and wrote about Adnan Yanezai when he broke through at My United. I honestly thought United had a, a proper superstar on their hands. I, I, I thought he might even kind of be in Ballon d'Or discussion and over the point of his career. He was brilliant in that Moy season. Obviously, he's actually had a pretty decent career. He's He's been at Real Sostad for a few years now and he's been a decent player for them. And you hear little rumours every so often of, oh, maybe Barcelona will pick him up on a free year. So he's he's still at, that, he's still at a good level, a very high level. He's had a good career, but I, I thought he was going to be an absolute superstar. I also thought Craig Gordon, Scottish goalkeeper, thought he was going to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. This is a funny one for me because it just comes down to timing, career decisions and luck. Gordon has actually had an excellent career. He might be the best Scottish goalkeeper ever. He's 40 years old right now. He's still the Scotland number one. He's he's uh, arguably never been better than he is right now. He is, he's a Scottish football legend, so he's had a great career. He would, he would maybe take some issue with being on this list if he was listening, but you shouldn't have gone to Sunderland, man. Like, that just ruined your Premier League career. Um, I feel like that sentiment is applicable to a lot of players who have signed for Sunderland. It just didn't work for him at Sunderland. He kind of came back up to, to Scotland, where he was very good for Celtic, but I thought he was going to be one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And then finally, one uh, one final suggestion. There was a summer where Akechi Anya, who played for Derby County, was brought into the Scotland team and he was quick and he was direct and he was skillful and he was everything that we were lacking at that time. We had a poor team around that, at that time with uh, Gordon's track and he scored this great goal away to Germany where he just sprinted the length of the pitch and uh, finished across Manuel Neuer at the Westfalen Stadion and I thought we had a superstar Ikechianya was not a superstar, though. I think a lot of people in Scotland got swept up in that whole thing, and it's a little bit embarrassing to look back now, particularly because we have a a much better team now, and Ikechianya just would get nowhere near our squad, never mind the first team now. So, yeah, those are my, those are the three that uh, I certainly hyped up more than they deserved. I like uh, Yenazai as a shout, Graham. I put him in the same category, kind of, as Federico Maceda. Maceda? Yep. Remember him? Giko. Yep. Y- yes, he scored that great goal against... Somewhat. Uh, Villa. It was a good goal. Villa? Yeah. Villa, That's yeah. The, the the kind of back heel flick and then the curl into the corner. Yeah, mm. I thought he was going to be good as well. But at least, I, I guess at least Yanazai is still in La Liga. I have no idea where Federico Makeda is right now. And I don't think I've had any idea where he is for about 10 years. He was He's at Sampdoria for a while. And then I think he went elsewhere. But yeah, I'm with you on Yanazai. I still know his song that, that he had. He had his own custom song with Manchester United. So sure was everyone that he would be the future of the club. That was well, not meant to, to be. Now. That was not meant to be. Yeah, please share, Taylor. Uh, it's, I want to tell you, I might as well do, about a boy who can do anything. He comes from Belgium. His name is Adnan. Yanazai, Yanazai, Yanazai. Very what good. What melody is that? I did not sing. <laughs> Monotone. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
he injury ruined his career basically and he had this chronic knee pain I think he was playing in Harry Redknapp's Tottenham and by that point um, if memory serves correct he was basically only training once or twice a week because it's all his knees could take and he retired eventually in 2012 so it's kind of a sad one there and the other one is someone who made it to the top but it was still sad because I still don't think they quite fulfilled the potential Adriano uh, Brazilian striker Adriano who um obviously hit the hit highs in in South America and Europe but also kind of went off the rails a bit it was said that it was um the the, the starting point of that was when his father died he was very close to his father um and then we sort of had uh, situations with his weight there was uh, an incident where he was arrested for drug trafficking in Brazil there was another incident where he accidentally shot someone in a car outside a nightclub on Christmas Eve at 6am that sentence kept on going because there was extra details so Adriano is uh, another one I would add to that list okay uh, that just about wraps up this to questions but ding 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 bonus graham content it's what the people oh, want no. graham it's what the people want tate rosenhagen has asked what is the one i guess this is the question for the other uh, the, the, the other three of us um what is the one food from your hometown or area that you'd like graham to try i'll go first jelly deals graham no i knew you were gonna say that not a chance <laughs> East London's finest. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the dish consists of chopped eels boiled in a spiced stock that's allowed to cool and set, forming a jelly. Jelly deals are exactly <laughs> what they sound like, and they're served cold as well, Graham. Mm. Oh, no. I mean, I, I think I have covered on this podcast that I am quite partial to what's known as a munchie box in Scotland, which is a box of ambiguous unknown meats, but I am not prepared to take on jelly deals anytime soon. Wise. Taylor, anything from Virginia? Uh, no jelly deals for me. No boiled peanuts. I wouldn't do that to Graham. I don't really have like a local cuisine. I would say that uh, chicken and waffles done right would probably appeal to Graham. There's a bakery. I'm up for that. There's a bakery here in Richmond uh, that's a Tur- Turkish bakery, but it's a Richmond institution now. They've got meat pies, but they've also got just delicious sweet options as well. And I think Graham would just do uh, well, broadly speaking, at a cookout, especially a southern cookout. I think he'd appreciate collard greens, oh, yeah. mac and cheese, barbecue, and sweet tea. So I think all of those would be oh. things that I would enjoy uh, showing good. to Graham. God. Yeah, I prefer, I prefer, can I have Taylor's <laughs> option over Ryan's? Ryan's is trying to hurt you, I think. Yeah. I could have gone yeah, Southern Barbecue, Graham, I, I, but I didn't. I went the other route, so you're very welcome. Uh, oh, it was it was one of two choices, was it? It was nice foods and jellied eels. <laughs> That's what I want. It's what I desire. Um, Joe, what do you desire for uh, Graham to try from Arizona? I, it, it just feels like something like Guy Fieri would make. Is he is he from Arizona? I don't know. I, I don't think so, but I, I wish he was. He kind of has that, that vibe. I think that it, he is the vibe that Arizona gives off in the good place. That's what he has the it. vibe. Um, as, as far as food, also, Graham, we don't really have much sand because there's not a whole lot of water. You, you kind of have to drive pretty far closer to New Mexico. But anyway, before you get sand, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the, the food okay, that, good, so I'm not getting sand. The food you'll That's be having is authentic Mexican food. Again, we don't really have our own cuisine in arizona i would argue i guess southwestern food kind of has its own genre but really that's again more of a new mexico green chilies thing at least in my view so i'm gonna hook you up with some really good mexican food i feel like that's a a pretty strong contender in this whole getting graham to actually like the food thing because mexican food is is delicious yes um Mm. there's also a, a really big Italian population here, so a lot of really authentic and quality Italian food. I've kind of mentioned that on a show before when somebody asked about food. Um, and, and so there's some Italian food we could snag as well. Just, just come and we'll have a, a nice little food road trip through Arizona, Graham. 
yeah, sounds good. I mean, as long as there's no sweet corn in my burrito, the burrito place near me, which is in a mall, which is a, ba- a bad start. I am well aware that it's probably not the best place to get a burrito, but they always put sweet corn in my mm. burrito when I ask them not to. We'll so, make sure, that, no we'll make sure they treat you better out here, Graham. Okay, sand in the burrito then. Yep. You should tell them you got a blue check on Twitter, Graham. They'll treat you differently. <laughs> Waving your phone in front of their face. Hey, do you, do you know I have a blue check? Uh, I can't believe I'm getting trolled for that by the, the guy who's verified on every single social media platform. I'm just talk- I'm just kind of surreptitiously making fun of the normies like Taylor, actually. <laughs> Sorry I don't sell out to big corporate America, man, says the guy who, uh, yeah, has an affiliation with The Athletic. <laughs> One more question from Jordan Rowe related to Graham's world. Which of the other TSS hosts could last longest adopting Graham's, Graham's diet this, and his routine? Um, this question has me concerned about what listeners think my day-to-day <laughs> diet is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit heavier than I was before the pandemic and certainly before fatherhood, but I don't have a meat pie for every meal, just for breakfast. Just for breakfast, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I would say my arteries are already pretty hard from living in the south of the USA for a decade. Oh. And I think there is I'm zero gonna... chance the answer is you, Ryan. I just need that to be very clear up front. <laughs> there is zero chance how... that you are the answer to this question. Oh Ryan, how often do you think Graham eats at, at any of the places that you like to frequent? <laughs> Graham, how often do you go to Chili's on a monthly basis? Often? <laughs> uh, no, no. All right. No, not one that I frequent very often, I have to I mean, say. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with Denny's, Taylor. on the other hand, when there was a Denny's yeah. in Glasgow. Oh, you see, you all are focused on the dietary cards. part of this. I am the routine as well, yeah. I'm focused on the fact that Ryan is absolutely getting arrested very quickly for just being ridiculously anti-Scottish in every day. I that are just getting, like, <laughs> refusing to leave the house anymore for how many violent, violent incidents he will have from constantly insulting Scotland while pretending to be Graham. Uh, I, I, I know like about routine. I don't, think, I don't think he leaves the house, to be fair. Yeah, I was going to say that's an advantage, not a disadvantage, actually. <laughs> yeah, that is true. My routine is just a lot of football and tennis generally through the yeah. night, so that's what you can expect. It's watching a lot of screens, uh, some neighborhood vigilanteism, and going to a bait shop. That's it, right? <laughs> Yeah, and and to the tackle shop to get a haircut <laughs> every so go. often. There we go. Um, is the answer Joe then? I think my, the answer might be Joe, just for the diet and being younger and being able to handle. Um, I I kind of think it's I kind of think it's me too. I have maybe me question mark in the notes. I <laughs> I watch a lot of games. I think Graham, you watch more than I do, but we're in a relatively similar stratosphere. And I, I do mm-hmm. love fried food. I'm I'm guessing all of us kind of like fried food because fried food is good, but. I uh I also get sick a lot, which I know is kind of your brand, so I, I try not to bring oh, it up yeah. a ton. Uh, I I think between long stretches of did wearing we just masks, best friends. I, I think we did. I think we did. I actually get a lot less sick now for I think a few different reasons, <laughs> but I still get sick a lot. So I, I will nominate myself to go live in Scotland uh, and just hang out there. But Taylor, if you want to take this title, you're also welcome to it. I mean, I, my notes say me without a doubt uh, because oh, okay. for the reason go. I mentioned, Ryan, I think is going to have some Scottish problems and just not be very happy living in Scotland. I think it's going to disrupt his mm-hmm. routine. Mm-hmm. Joe, mm-hmm. I agree with all the reasons you, you've you've argued. The one that I would say is the issue. Graham is a toddler, and I feel like jumping straight into dealing with a toddler. Oh, yeah. I think Joe could handle it because Joe seems very even tempered, and I think of the f- if we had like a a, a a four men and a baby situation when we were all like mid twenties. I feel like Joe would yeah, be Joe's the, the best yeah, dad. At the I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident, but I think it is a pretty <laughs> rapid adjustment to the schedule. I think whereas Graham and I have uh, daughters who are roughly similar ages, 
We have uh, wives who do something prestigious while we sit at home and watch soccer. And my wife and I kind of already want to live in Scotland anyway. So I think that that's why I had uh, me taken over for Graham. Graham, you can come live in Virginia and uh, continue to deal with the heat. Have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the toddler thing is fair. That 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 experience matters, Taylor. I feel like you have also played the find the poo game in your living room uh, fairly recently. And for a minute, I thought you meant like Winnie the Pooh, and then I realized what we were so talking about. So did I. <laughs> See, Joe. See, this well, is what you have to too, look forward but... to, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm actually really happy in Arizona. I love it here. Um, we have our fr- our own fried food, and I can get sick in my house. So all good. My my daughter has now just discovered it's a fun like she's made know into a game which is terrifying because you're not supposed to do that but now she'll like grab a thing she knows she's not supposed to have and then look at me with a face of just pure glee like huh huh you want to stop me and that's that's real fun (laughs) that's real fun joe living with a with a toddler who might also be a homicidal maniac I kind of still do that, so I don't know. <laughs> Is your toddler Sergio Ramos? Give me the line. Very similar energy, Graham. Very similar energy. <laughs> Fewer oh, neck tats, but similar energy. Oh, right. Well, uh, there's always time for that, Tay-Tay, I would say. Uh, and meanwhile, four, four men and a baby. Is that our spinoff coming out I'm soon? It. Sounds like it's our spinoff. <laughs> I mean, yes, please. I think that that's, that's, it. that's the next one. It's a parenting podcast in which maybe Joe hosts and asks questions, and then we fight over the answers excellent <laughs> stuff just like this show then uh, thank you very much listeners for submitting your questions totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you'd like to submit one we do really love your questions we do get some excellent ones as you will have heard on this and many other listener question shows but for now Taylor Rockwell thank you so much for your time thank you my friend uh, Joseph Lowry thank you so much right back at you Ryan Graham Ruffin thank you so much and thank you for introducing find the poo into my lexicon today <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's going to be made into a PlayStation game by Electronic Arts at some point in the future. So thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Listener, thank you very much. We'll be back soon on the feed. But for now, bye. Bye.